Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. My name's Tim Alford. I'll be your host for today's conversation. But just before we jump into it, let me tell you about our online youth ministry learning communities. Another opportunity for us as a youth ministry community to come together and to learn from the special guests that we have joining us every month and, crucially, from one another as well. It's online, it's free, and if you'd like to find out more and request an invitation to our learning communities online each month, go to limitlesselim.co.uk forward slash YMLC. It's a great time together. I look forward to seeing you there. But for now, let's get on with the podcast. Welcome everybody to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. Uh, Absolutely delighted uh, today to have a very special guest with us, the Director of the Youthscape Centre for Research, uh, Dr. Lucy Schuker. Lucy, welcome to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much. It's lovely to sort of be here. <laughs> yeah, we are we are on Zoom inevitably. Such are such are the times. Um, but it's meant we've, we've been able to connect fairly quickly uh, since we uh, got in touch. So that's that's fantastic. Lucy, give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself. Tell us a little bit more about your role at, at Youthscape, overseeing the Centre for Research, and, and what that means, and uh, your life beyond ministry as well. Well, I live here in Luton, where the Youthscape team are based, and I've been here for about 13 years, a part of a local church. We came and and planted a church here about 13 years ago, so I I live here too. Uh, I've got a daughter who's seven, which has been a lot lot of fun to um, spend more time with her during lockdown. And I, yeah, what do I do? So, I mean, I've been doing research for the last 15 years or so. I used to work at a university and and, um, more recently have moved over to to work in the world of the church and youth ministry. Hmm. And the goal really is to try to bring some insight to the conversations about young people and the church, um, how we support them, what we're doing and how we how we can think about it. And we try to do that um, in a range of different ways. We try to collect research that's already out there and make it accessible. And we do new stuff as well. And we try to do it in a way that's reflective and includes theology as well. Yeah. And and we try to listen to youth workers and see what is it that you want to know and what are the questions you're asking. Uh, So that's a bit about what we do. Fantastic. And and the We Do God research, which has uh, recently been published, I found uh, absolutely fascinating. Give us some headlines about your thinking behind the research, why you asked the questions uh, that you did. We'll, we'll spend a couple of episodes, Lucy, kind of unpacking it and, and reflecting on what it means for us as youth workers. Uh, but, but give us the headlines. Well, I mean, a very simple way to frame it is that There are these big pieces of discipleship is one way to look at it. And so one of those is belief, what we teach young people, what we hope that they come to understand about what it means to have faith using scripture. Um, And and another big piece is community. So the kind of uh, relationships that they're drawn into and they get to participate in. And we were thinking about this other bit as being what we've called practice. So the the rhythms of what we actually do when we get together, the things that are visibly, visibly mark out Christians and Christian community. And I think we have been observing both in conversation and in research and existing um, stuff that had been published, we were finding that 
young people were less interested in truth claims, I suppose is one way to put it. So starting with, this is why you should believe in Jesus. This is that he's a historical figure um, that he makes these claims about himself um, that you can test. And therefore, if we can, if we can get you to pray the prayer and say that you believe and sort of get you over that line, um, that it seemed that young people were less interested and engaged in that conversation. Mostly there appeared to be a kind of sense of, well, I respect that, but that's, that's for you. You know, you can have your truth, I'll have my truth. Um, that kind of way of, of seeing it. And that was also reflected in the experience of some of the local team that trying to draw them into conversation about faith in the abstract wasn't really working very well. Mm. Uh, whereas when they were being drawn into direct experience of faith, something that was tangible and real, that was more engaging. Um, and for the local team, the challenge here was how do we create curiosity about God and about the spiritual world if it's not already there? And it was it felt like this this idea of experience and practice was one of those one of those ways to do that. So I was asked to go away and basically do some research, go and find yeah. out about this idea of kind of spiritual experiment. Could we invite young people into trying out faith and seeing what it's like? And then will that create curiosity? That means we can then have a conversation that might be more familiar to us when it, in terms of evangelism. Uh, yeah, and, and I and I love this because you know, as you said, discipleship isn't isn't just about beliefs; it's about practice, isn't it? So, to be a disciple, to 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 be a follower of Jesus means that you doesn't just mean that you believe in Jesus; it means that you practice the way of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and what I found really interesting as you did the research and you asked the questions is that you found that that some of these practices were almost kind of ever present in youth ministries mm -hmm. and some strangely absent at least you know in, in my opinion so what did you find out get what kick us off by just giving us a, a rundown top to bottom of the practices that you asked about and 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 how present they were or, or otherwise in youth ministries and and let's see where that takes us Okay, so we asked, uh, we did a survey, an online survey of about 235 youth workers, and we asked which of these 21 practices are you intentionally engaging in? Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, do you really want me to want me to read through all of them? Yeah, I want you to go top. All right, top, top, we're, top, we're going top. full on. Okay, so yeah. at the top, we had worship and singing. So 93% of youth workers intentionally are singing and worshiping God. And I guess that's no surprise, right? Yeah, isn't it interesting? Like the potentially the thing that defines us most strongly is that we worship. Mm. Um, now, what, what you mean by worship? Instantly, you say, "Oh, what do you now? How do you see worship? Is that just singing, or is that a whole lifestyle?" I think because I put worship slash singing, I think that's how we interpret yes. it. Yes, um, yeah. yeah, singing together. Ninety-two percent intentionally serving or blessing others. Ninety-one percent attending church or Christian groups. Ninety percent praying meditating and 87 percent studying or learning about scripture so those are the kind of top five okay so top five worship singing serving and blessing others attending church or groups prayer and meditation and studying scripture i guess you know we could if we were going to guess we, we might have put those in the top five uh this is where i think it starts to get really interesting 
Yeah, so, so yeah, you're right. I mean, those are, if you think about what we do if we get together, say, on Sundays, that's yeah. a pretty classic list, isn't it? It's what we do. Okay, so then we have 85% forgiving others, 84% being hospitable and including people, 78% being generous, 73% taking communion, breaking bread, 68% intentionally loving their enemies as a practice, 68% engaging in evangelism or mission. Oh, now, Lucy, we need to stop. We need to pause. <laughs> that, that, so that's about halfway down the that's list, isn't it? Down. Yeah. What, what, I mean, that's not good news, is it? What, what I, I, I find that quite shocking and unsettling. T t tell me your reflections on why you think evangelism and, and, and mission finds itself so, so relatively low, I guess. That is a good question. I mean, part of it might be how you interpret. You could interpret mission, I think, more broadly than potentially evangelism. So I think lots of us might see our whole lives as being engaged in mission in different ways, um, in, yeah. in terms of participating in what God is doing to reconcile all things. But in terms of evangelism, which we might see more concretely as articulating our faith, inviting people to participate in it, sharing it in some kind of active way. I'm actually not that surprised because there has been other research that has shown that generationally there is more discomfort with the idea of evangelism now than there used to be. Mm. And I think that has grown up in, in tandem with, um, I mean, you might call it a kind of misplaced commitment to tolerance for someone else's perspective. Yeah. There is a desire to respect other people's choices and beliefs, but often that is interpreted, particularly by younger people, as meaning that you can't ask questions about what other people yeah. believe, that yeah. you can't invite them to think differently, that you can't ask them difficult questions about that, and we can't have any kind of rigorous conversation or even respectful dialogue about each other's beliefs. That was certainly something that came out of the no questions asked research that we did a couple of years ago, when we found a lack of spiritual curiosity amongst local young people. One of the reasons was that they said, um, well, I don't ask questions of my parents or my, or my friends because I respect them. Yeah, and that was really interesting to us. I mean, that's one thought. I don't know if what you think about that. I, I, you know what? I think the whole um, kind of postmodern tolerance narrative is like a really m massive deal. Yeah. Um, because it's not tolerance in its true sense. Mm. Um, it, 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 it's a kind of leave me alone tolerance. Like you know the, but the, the reality is. Um, in my view, in, in the kind of postmodern world in which we live, that we, you know, the, the most um, intolerant people are the ones who are constantly telling everyone else how intolerant they are all the time. Do you, you, you know what I mean? And it's not real tolerance because, as you've pointed out, it doesn't invite dialogue, it doesn't invite conversation, it shuts it down. Um, and so what it actually does is create very closed paradigms in which we are allowed to think. Mm. And if we break out of those paradigms, suddenly we, suddenly we become intolerant. Mm. There's a better way than that, I think. There's a, there's a, a better kind of tolerance, which is couched in humility, mm. which, can, which is okay with being questioned and asking questions. So I think, I think you're right. And I, I do think that... Uh, and you touched on it earlier, the whole kind of thing of relative truth where 
you know, your truth is true for you. My truth is, is true for me. Um, uh, and you know, we'll all be okay as long as you don't challenge or question my truth. You know, that is the, the, the cultural paradigm of young people, isn't it? And so it makes it very, very difficult for them to be able to speak with any kind of courage, um, or, or with any kind of conviction about their beliefs. And, and, I, and I think that's, for me, Lucy, I don't know what you think, but that is the problem with this kind of postmodern kind of tolerance. And don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying that we should be intolerant, but the problem with this, this kind of tolerance is that it means you are no longer to, allowed to have a conviction mm-hmm. about anything unless it exists within a very narrow paradigm. And I think that's like a, a, a you know, it's a big deal for young people. I, well, I don't know what your reflections on that would be. I think it is a big deal. I think it's something that we need to think about. And But I would probably say not just for young people, because yeah. lots of youth work, I mean, youth work is a young profession. Most youth workers are kind of in their 20s and maybe 30s. Um, and we have some fantastic veterans in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s. But... Yeah. Actually, those youth workers who are in their 20s are part of that same generation where many will be in an environment where um, unless they are really actively encouraged to, 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 to have a, a way of thinking about mission that they, um, that they can all, they, they all say, what am I trying to say? That they understand how to do it authentically in a way that is still kind and dialogical and respectful, mm. then I think that I think there is a bit of a silencing that happens culturally. And so I think we can't assume yeah. that it's just young people. I think it's something that's affecting the whole church, even to the point where lots of parents increasingly now feel that it's not their place to shape their children's worldview because they want their children to have freedom because we really value the, the freedom to express yourself and develop your own self-identity. And again, that's often confused with thinking that children are a blank slate that you mustn't tamper with or mustn't, you know, rather than thinking there's a, you're, you know, you're allowed to shape <laughs> your children's experience. So I, I wouldn't say it's just young people. It's a whole culture thing. Uh, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, the way that that's having an impact on um evangelism and mission is is evident i guess in the research all right well we could stay on that for a long time but but let's continue with the list so after evangelism mission we had baptism and confirmation yeah so i mean this was really a one-off you can't like constantly engage in baptism can you shouldn't really do that um but 60 66 percent um had said yes i've intentionally engaged in that practice 66 percent in celebration marking important events 64% in the practice of testimony, sharing your story. 60% engage in creativity as a Christian practice. And then, do you know what? There's a sudden dip here. Um, These are all around the kind of, it was decreasing quite um, steadily. And then there's a big jump from 60% in creativity to 43% intentionally engaging in rest. Interesting. Yeah, and so now what we're looking at now, the, the final ones are the ones that um, from from resting on or, or Sabbath on, these are the ones that are those who practice them are in the minority. That's uh, right. As opposed to in the majority. So th- so these these bring up some interesting questions. So so yeah, so sa- resting Sabbath with uh, 43%. And then And then we've got the same same percentage with challenging injustice so 43 percent intentionally engage in challenging injustice 
37% um, in the practice of healing. Um, and that we've kind of said of body, mind, and emotions that God is healing us in all sorts of ways. 26% intentionally live in a simple way. 19% intentionally engage in lament. And right down at the bottom, we have 14% who intentionally engage in fasting or self-denial. Interesting. Now, I've got thoughts about a, a couple of these, but I'd love just to hear your reflections on, you know, those, as, as you say, those bottom six, particularly, which were resting Sabbath, challenging injustice, healing of body, mind and emotions, living simply, lament and fasting or self-denial. What, yeah. Why were they uh, right down there at the bottom, in, in your view? And what does that tell us about our, our practice of youth ministry and how we're discipling young people? Yeah, I don't really know why some of these are at the bottom. I'm quite surprised that challenging injustice is so far down because mm. that's something we talk about a lot as a youth ministry community. It's always a theme in our conferences. I think it is talked about with young people. Um, I think it's quite rare to find youth workers who never integrate a justice perspective into, into their work with young people. So that's... It's probably worth saying, Lucy, is it that this research was conducted before George Floyd, before the Black Lives Matter movement. So I do wonder if now, if this research was conducted again now, if we might actually see that rising up the uh, table a little bit. I think that's a very interesting point, yes. Um, and in fact, we're doing a piece of research at the moment that is about the future and the climate with Tear Fund. And already yeah. I'm looking at the answers coming through there. And one of the questions is, how do you want the world to be different in 10 years? And young people are really talking about racism, discrimination, yeah. um, things that you would expect because of what they've witnessed and yeah. because of what they, they care about. So yes, I think you're right. Uh, I think... I think lament is an unusual one. I, I wonder if this reflects the kinds of churches we might have been brought up in. I was brought up in a charismatic church that um, was very was very positive, and I, I it wasn't very often that we were kind of actively encouraged to acknowledge suffering or talked about it a huge amount. And sometimes in our churches, we we don't know how to really acknowledge suffering and sit with it because we fear that it undermines faith in a God who's good or who is going to act. Yeah. And, and I think there are parts of the church that, that really do that maybe better and parts of the church that we could, we could really learn about that. I mean, fasting, I know it's just hard, but I mean, it is interesting given that Jesus says, when you fast. You know. uh, I was literally about <laughs> to say exactly that. Like, I, I think for me, uh, perhaps I wasn't surprised, but you know, exactly, Lucy, Jesus says when you fast, not if you fast, right? So to me, that it means it's not, you know, it's not like an optional add-on for extra credit if you're a follower of Jesus. It's just part of the, you know, it's part of being an apprentice, being a follower, being a disciple, isn't it? And so, you know, we got to work that in as a, as a regular part of our, our following of Jesus, I think, and helping our young people to, to do it as well. And actually, you, you know what? I think with fasting is, um, I think it's real powerful in terms of, um, in, in terms of the pursuit of, of of holiness. I think it's really powerful in, in terms of being transformed into the likeness of Christ because um, by choosing to deny ourselves of the things that we can, we learn to deny ourselves of the things that we can't. And so I think that we, you know, in terms of our temptations and our battles against sin, in, in terms of, you know, if young people are 
have got battles against pornography, for example, and addiction with pornography. I think actually fasting is one of the most powerful tools we've got in helping them to overcome that because, you know, as I say, in denying ourselves of something that we are able to, it help it helps us to be able to deny ourselves of things we can. And didn't Jesus say, if you want to follow me, what have you got to do? First thing, deny yourself. Yeah. Deny yourself. That's part of the package, isn't it? So Forgive me if that's a little bit of a rant, but... <laughs> well, it's... No, no, it's... I think it's really interesting. And I think it's interesting if you put it together with celebration, because I sometimes think of these as, as complementary practices, fasting and feasting. So yeah. Jesus knew when it was the time to celebrate and to experience an excess of what is good and to invite people to participate and say that life is good and we are going to celebrate. Like the, the fact that, you know, his miracle, his miracle at um, turning water into wine at a wedding is, speaks so much of celebration. But the flip side of that is there are moments to stop and deny ourselves as well. And it's just, yeah, it maybe it's not a surprise that celebration is just further up and fast into the bottom. But I also, another angle on it, when I looked at that, one of my first thoughts was, these are the practices that this generation will need if they are going to address our, our relationship of exploitation to the earth. So these are, these are um, if we're gonna if we're gonna live within our means as a society and um, and address the, the challenges with the climate, we are going to need to fast from certain things that we've thought are we are entitled to. So we've got friends who are prophetically not flying anymore because wow. because they know that that's having a significant impact. So for them, self denial is of certain kinds of transport. Yeah. Um, We've got, so living simply around our diet or around our travel yeah. or around our consumption of clothing and all those sorts of things yeah. is a significant practice for the, for the planet. As is lament, there are young people who are overwhelmed with climate grief. And mm. what they need from us is, is Christians to show up and say, it's possible to engage with that suffering, but that it is located within a wider hope that this is going to be okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's just another angle on those at the bottom. Well, I wonder if we could just talk around the lament one for a minute, because I have to admit, Lucy, that until recently, lament was something I had never done with a group of young people. Uh, but I say until recently, because I did have what was one of the most difficult, but undoubtedly one of the most profound experiences I've ever had with a group of young people. Um, just, just a tiny bit over a year ago now, um, a, a friend of mine who's a, a pastor in a church, same age as me, 35, um, died of, after a battle with cancer. And, um, uh, he, yeah, young guy, church had rallied around the family, really battled and interceded, you know, in prayer. The young people were amazing. I remember I went to the first prayer meeting after um, the, after, you know, it had become clear that he had this kind of terminal diagnosis and, you know, loads of people showed up at the church and the young people were there. And I, got, and I got with the young people at, at, at that time. It's not my youth group, but, you know, in my role of, you know, overseeing youth ministry with the, in the Elam movement there in the Elam church, I just took a bit of time with them to encourage them. And, you know, amazing bunch of young people. But they were praying, they were believing. And, of course, you know, he died. Um, and actually at the time he died, they were 
they were kind of in between youth pastors. So they had some team around who were supporting them, but they didn't actually have a, a youth pastor in place. So the, the next week I went up to see them to join their youth group. And, and what we did is, is we took one of the Psalms um, uh, as, as a framework for uh, one of the Psalms of lament. Uh, and we used it as a framework for writing their own Psalm. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I, I said to them, look, that you can't say the wrong thing today. I, I, I just want you to put what's on your heart onto the page. And so they, they were in groups and they went around and there were various reflections they were having, various um, questions they were answering and they were asking God why questions. And, but then they were ending it with, with hope and like, and, and this is what we want to see you do through it. And I'm, I've, I'm actually feeling quite emotional just reflecting on it and remembering it now. But the young people just engaged with that so beautifully. It was amazing. Like it was hard but it was amazing. And I'd never done anything like that with young people before. Maybe because I'd never had a, like a situation in which like a whole group of young people were lamenting over the same thing. And so you could lead them through it. But I felt like I really learned something that day and just how willing the young people were to be real, to be vulnerable, to engage with that. And, you know, afterwards, you know, and in the weeks commencing, I had loads of great feedback from parents who said, just want to say thank you because it's just what they needed. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if we could just talk around that for, for a minute, because I just, you know, evidently, if that kind of thing isn't happening in, in our youth ministries, mm-hmm. Lucy, I'd be really interest, interested to see your thoughts on how do we help young people engage in lament, either as individuals, if they're grieving or, or suffering personally within their family, lives or even as a, as a whole group if there's something um that together they're you know lamenting over oh i think that's such a wonderful experience that what you just described and probably so important for them and i i mean i think one there are i think there are three dimensions of it one is psychologically why it's really important one is theologically why it's really important for your relationship with God. And then it's also socially really important as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, on the first count, how many spaces are there where somebody will safely create an opportunity for you to express pain mm. without interrupting you or reframing it or um, without you having to rush to the next lesson? <laughs> Um, and will witness it as someone who you trust and let you really express it. I mean, as much as we we think we're quite a therapeutic culture, those spaces are incredibly rare Mm. and they're so important. Young people are carrying around, we all are carrying around so much weight of the things that we have felt in our day, in our relationships, in the world. so it's so important just expressing it for our mental health. If we cared about nothing other than young people's mental health, we should help them lament. Mm. But if we care about their faith, we know that from other research, I'm thinking about um, Ruth Perry's research about young adults, those who make it through to young adulthood, their faith has deepened to the point where they are able to integrate real life experience. Yeah. So in other words, all of us have to go through it at some point. We hit, we hit a place where we cannot reconcile the experience of life we've got and the image of God we have got. And one thing's got to give. 
And often we, if, if someone doesn't help us, it is our, we hold on to our experience and we lose our image of God. Yeah. But if somebody acts like a midwife to birth a new kind of faith. Wow. L- lament is like an experience, um, a practice that is like a midwife birthing a new phase of faith. Then, then what you do is you say, you cannot understand how God can be good and this person you loved has died, how your parents could have separated when God is meant to be good. But let me show you how that is possible. There is a deeper kind of faith where God hears your grief and he holds your grief. And, oh, wait, he was the God who was crucified and alienated himself. And so um, if we want young if we believe that young people are capable of a deeper faith, then we've got to take them there. We've got to show them that we suffer. Um, we've got to show them that God suffers and that um, faith can hold that. Um, Lucy, I, I think what you're saying is, is so, so important. Like, I don't know if you saw um, the, the New Youth for Christ research that just came out. In fact, we've yeah. just had a conversation with Laura Hancock on the podcast about that. And one of the things that interested me in what came out of that was that still the biggest questions that young people have, the biggest um, obstacles that they have to overcome in order to come to faith in God are still the questions of suffering. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, you know, I think what you're saying is just so important to not be afraid of asking those questions and actually not being afraid of not having the answers. Uh, and I'm not suggesting mm-hmm. that means, you know, we'd be lazy and we don't do our research and we don't, you know, work on our apologetics. That's not what I mean. But, but to be able just to to dwell in that place, be present in that place with young people without trying to offer a solution yeah. and to say, man, you know, what you're going through, that's, 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 that's hard. Yeah. Uh, and just to be present there with the young people rather than, you know, trying to offer quick, quick fire answers. Cause I think that's what you're saying about that, that research about young adults and those who, who make it in faith. They've, They've done some of that hard wrestling, haven't they? They have. That's right. And there's, I mean, there's other research as well that um, a, pa- a paper that's called Pivoting Towards Hope that I really like because it, it interviewed about 150 young people and found that so those who have been through real pain and suffering for different reasons themselves have often, it's, it's on the basis of their own suffering that they can pivot yes. <laughs> towards a belief in which the, the world can be different in the future. The hope that they find is connected to their own suffering. And so if we don't allow them to integrate that suffering into their faith, they also won't form the vision of the future that is hopeful. So hope is not an abstract theological concept. It comes from your lived experience as well. Yes. Young people care about I'm doing something about the injustice of abuse and domestic violence because they know what it's like to have experienced it and they don't want anyone else to suffer that. And so it's, um, yeah, I mean, I just couldn't agree more. I think it's one of the practices that I would say is most important for the church to rediscover. Um, mm-hmm. And we've got, we've got it in our, you know, in our toolkit um, yeah. to offer young people, uh, so, which is wonderful. Yeah. I, th- I think it's Andrew Root, if if I remember rightly, who, who talks about the existential line of tragedy and death, <laughs> uh, which is a jolly, <laughs> a wow. jolly phrase. But basically, the the idea is 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 exactly what we're talking about. That we 
that, that we, we, we live through these experiences of suffering and pain and unanswered questions. But our role as youth workers, I, I love your analogy of, you know, the youth worker is the midwife, but we enter into that line of, of existential tragedy and death with the young person. We, 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 we sit on that line with the young people and we, we, we call forth the hope of the new creation in, into, that, into that place. Um, uh, just, yeah, uh, I think really, really interesting and in how we do that and how, how we avoid just the brushing over and, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you, you know, that kind of stuff, but really enter into that place with young people I think this research really encourages us to, as you say, rediscover or perhaps discover that for the first time. And so that's, that's really, really helpful. Uh, Lucia, again, we could stay uh, talking about this, but before we end this episode, I, I just want to ask you um, uh, one more uh, question on, on this episode. And, and that is about how, uh, as I read it, one of the key findings to, to come out of the research uh, has to do with the, I guess the primacy that we place on teaching over experience as a means for discipleship. Mm. Can, can you expand on that and, and, and what, what you discovered and what that means, means for us? Yeah, so one of the things that we did is having asked youth workers, which of these are you intentionally practicing? We presented the same list and said, which of these have you taught young people about in the last two years and that's we asked for both young people who are in a church context and also young people in the wider community and then which of these practices have you invited young people to experience directly now you will notice in that that there's a bit of a false dualism there between teaching and experience so you can teach through experience, but what we meant by that was kind of verbal. Yeah. Verbal you, you teaching. You preach about it. You do a talk. Yeah. About you do, it. Essentially, you do a talk about it, which often is the way that we come to these things. Mm. And there would, what we found was essentially we, we fairly consistently teach about things more than we invite young people to directly experience them. Mm. There were some places where that was tipped the other way around, which is interesting, but on the whole, it went that way. We teach about it, we talk about it more than we do it. And there were some places where actually that gap was quite significant. So, for example, when it comes to challenging injustice, that is something that youth workers talk to young people about. 65% said, yes, I've, I've done a talk on that in the last couple of years but only 42% had invited young people to directly experience challenging injustice in some way rather than talking about it. Likewise, there was a big gap between talking about forgiveness. Three quarters of youth workers have talked about it. Only 49% have invited young people to actually forgive um, in some active way, um, I guess, while they're present together. Likewise, 40% have talked about resting. Only 20% have actively kind of modeled it in some way. And perhaps that's not surprising because with the little time that you might have with young yeah. people, the standard way we do things is we have some fun, we, we do a short talk about something, we give you some ideas about how you might apply it, and then we go. We don't tend to organise youth time with young people around doing together in, in that way, like practising together. Well, well, some people might do it, but I think in general it tends to be that we talk, reflect, um, and then go, you go away and you do the doing rather than yes. together. Yeah. We'll, we are a community that does things together. 
one thing that I've been thinking about, uh, so I'm responsible for the kids' work in our church, yeah. um, so the younger ones, but I've been thinking over the course of two or three years, what memories do I want them to have mm. of the time that we've had together? What distinctive experiences do I think would form a curriculum about what it means to be a community of faith? Um, and so that what, that's something that we could do. You could ask yourself, you know, over the time that young people are with me in this group, what do I want them to have actually done? What memories do I want them to have? If, if they said, if someone said to them at the end of that time, like, what, what did you do in your youth group? What, what answer do you want them to give in terms Great of what, what, what they did together? Um, and I think, I think you're right that it, this is really the Jesus way is to invite into an experience and to then ask questions that then make sense of that experience. And youth work, I mean, that's not an unfamiliar idea to lots of youth work, but ironically, it is an unfamiliar idea to much of the church. <laughs> so if you've gone and done any training in youth work, you'll be very familiar with the idea of informal education, which happens through conversation, doing, you act, and then you reflect, and then you act, and then you reflect. Yeah. And action reflection cycle is how informal education works. And it's really present in the history and the tradition of, of good youth work. But the church has, lo has lost a lot of the Jesus tradition of discipleship. Our, we get together and we, we talk and we discuss. <laughs> and our practices are really limited to singing and reading and um, so, you know some service, I think, a lot of the time. And that, friends, is where our broadband connection failed us. <laughs> but don't worry, because we did pick up the conversation again for next month's Limitless Leadership Podcast. So make sure you're subscribed and, and, and you'll pick up the, the conversation as it went on from there uh, next time around. And in the meantime, don't forget, I'd love to extend an invitation to you to our online youth ministry learning communities, an opportunity to, to learn together over relevant and timely youth ministry topics. You can find out more about that and, and you can register for your place over at limitlesselim.co.uk forward slash YMLC. That's limitlesselim.co.uk forward slash YMLC. We'd love to see you there. Hey, if this podcast has been helpful to you and you think that the conversation would be helpful for other youth leaders that you know, then please do uh, uh, share the, the podcast via your socials and you know, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. That would be really, really helpful. But for now, let me say to you, thank you so much for all that you're doing to serve young people where you are. It's such an important thing. I know, I know this is a difficult season right now, isn't it? And the guidelines are changing all the time and lockdown restrictions all the time are changing all the time. I just want to say to you, keep going, don't give up. What are you going to give your life to that's more important than passing on the gospel to the next generation? The smile of God is over your life today. See you next time. God bless.